welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast. I am your host, Cody McBroom, the CEO of Tailored Coaching Method, a world-renowned online coaching company. This podcast is built to help you create a life by design. That's what the Tailored Life is. It's choosing to blaze your own path, make your own decisions, and create a life you desire. So in this podcast, you're going to learn ways to optimize your body, optimize your mind, optimize your relationships and optimize your business and career this is the podcast for personal development junkies and people who can't stop growing because they strive for more we are also going to bring on experts in every single field to teach you their own expertise so you're not only learning from me four days a week but I'm bringing other professionals in to teach you their principles too so if you love personal development and you constantly want to strive for more in life this is the podcast for you. Make sure you hit subscribe, send this to a friend that needs it, and keep listening to improve your life all around. And without any further ado, let's get into the Tailored Life Podcast. Hello? We here? Here? Bro. We're live. Uh, I feel like we have to, since we haven't recorded a Q&A in a while, and there's always beginning banter. Um, the Tailored Life Challenge is going fucking nuts. Great. Dude. Yeah pretty insane yeah uh, i got 700 a plus 760 something yeah. i think there's there's f- almost 600 in the facebook group yeah. so there's about 100 people who didn't have facebook um didn't want to get facebook you know which i'm just gonna this is not poking fun at anybody who doesn't have facebook but there's a few people who really made me crack up i didn't say anything but they told me that they didn't have facebook because they don't agree with facebook's uh principles and policies all these things right but then they told me that they found me on instagram or they they found the challenge on instagram but facebook owns instagram oh yeah so i was like so whatever data you put on instagram facebook owns oh yeah (laughs) literally so all the tracking and advertising it just made me laugh because i wanted to be like okay we'll just just get a facebook for this because it's worth it so some people did though some people made fake accounts and changed their name and stuff like that which is good because I'm going to do it after we get done with this, but there's like 80 notifications waiting for me. And I just did them this morning. Like there's literally, Good. dude, it's that frequent. Jeez. And I'm trying to make sure I come back there. Some of them don't even, they're not asking me anything, yeah. but I still like to interact and did read. Did you go live on it on Monday? Yep. I went live on Monday. Uh, Lisa will go live tomorrow. And I think this week, Hallie's going live on Friday. Dope. And then I think Trevor's going live on Sunday. Like it's, dude, there's going to be three to four lives every single week. Wow. Well, because we were like, okay, I'll go live every Monday. Lisa's kind of like the, the like co-coach with me, so she'll go live every Thursday. We have enough coaches that I was like, everybody can go live every week. And then when I tallied it up, I was like, oh, shit, we can have two coaches go live every week yeah. on top of me and Lisa. So it's just, it's just going to be a ton of content. That's sick. It's dope. It's way cooler than I expected Trevor it to be. Trevor has Facebook? Trevor has Facebook, nice. and he just got an Instagram. Nice. Yeah, shout out to Trevor. Um, <laughs> about time. That's awesome. But, uh, dude, I'm pumped. It was, it's, I'm, I'm already, like, going, like, okay, what can we do next time, you know? To, For the challenge? Yeah. Just because, like, every time we do something that, and then once you realize you're going to do it again, it's like, okay, how do we level this up? How do we keep this momentum? Yeah. Um, and I think there's a ton of people in there that will just do it again they because just, there's different levels. You're going to do it the next 30 days? No, nah, we're taking a break for okay. sure. Um, <laughs> you challenges your whole life. Yeah, just back to back to back. Yeah. No, like I think the perfect blend is to do it every two to three months. So like every quarter would be ideal, right? But the problem with that is if we wait a couple months to do it, we'll be doing it in the middle of summer. Yeah. Which part of me goes, that's dope because, you know, we started day one on a Saturday. 
which is already out of the norm. Usually you start things on a Monday. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm going to start my diet on Monday, which I get. But starting on a Saturday was already cool, and it already required a lot of discipline. Because I'll be the first to admit, like, Saturday, I was like, I don't want to. I slept in. I know that's my night where I have some drinks, but I was like, I got to do this shit before yeah. all that starts, you know. But um, is, it, is it no drinking on Armory? No, I mean, you can drink on all of them. But, oh, um, yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> But it's just my day where I just kind of relax, you yeah. know, and like I usually have a beer with lunch and it's, I was like, no, I got to get these habits in, especially because I woke up at fucking 11, which I usually never do. Lunchtime. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> wake up and it's like, oh shit. All right. So, but I was smart and this is a tip for those people in the group. I kept my journal and my book on my nightstand, which I usually don't do. But when I woke up, cause it was my day to sleep in, I knew that I would wake up, the girls would be downstairs. So I was like, I'm just going to go right to the book. In the journal. Because yeah. if I go downstairs, it's not happening for a while. Game over. Um, the first cold shower was actually really nice. And I was like, damn, I, this, I got used to it from the last thing. Maybe this will be good. And then the rest of them sucked. But um, but it's worth it. It's good, man. Uh, I'm stoked. I'm really fucking stoked. How's yours going? Good. Yeah? Learning to read, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read in so long. I'm not even ashamed to say it. I, I, I learn... Visually and audibly. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I actually got, like, not, by no means sucked into the book, but I was just like, all right, two chapters. I could go for another one, but yeah, no. It's a good, that's a good book. It, the one you chose is actually a good one for people who don't read much because I yeah. feel like, if I remember correctly, the chapters are, like... <laughs> If a page. Yeah. It's basically almost <laughs> like every page is a new yeah, little... Yeah. sick. Yeah. That's dope. Because I, t- I don't read or at least fiction or, yeah. you know, stuff like that. But it's like, dude, when's this chapter ending? I got yeah. other shit to do. That's the only thing that, like... It's mental, though. That that gets with me, too, is if I go to a book, I'll actually go, like, okay, well, how many pages are in this chapter? Because I'm going to see if I can read through this chapter. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, fuck. Like, the book I'm reading right now, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, it's taken me... I just finished the chapter this morning, but it's... Like, the first chapter was really short, and I was like, oh, this is going to be dope. And then I went through this chapter, and it was took me... Like six days. Yeah. Because it was just a really big chapter. Yeah. So it's hard to figure out, like, what point do I stop reading, you know, because it's all kind of continuing. Yeah. But I've gotten good about, like, all right, when I have, like, a good, like, light bulb moment, I'm going to stop there. Journal, move on, then I'll come back to it tomorrow. But because yours is The War of Art, right? Yeah. Yeah. Turn Pro is the sequel to that one. Yeah. And it's the same style of writing. Yeah. Which makes it super easy. Sick. Um, Yeah. But... That's dope, man. I'm proud of you because I might, was like... Might I'll, do the one thing next challenge. The one thing is good. I don't think it has... It's not the... They're not really long chapters, but they're definitely not as short it's as not, the Warbar. It's, it's not a game changer if they're long chapters, but just less uh, appealing. Yeah. But. They're not They're not long, but they're definitely not as short as Warbar. That yeah. book is like... Um, there's another one called Warrior of the Light. You wouldn't really be into it, but for people who are into like... Uh, mindset meditation stories analogies it's the same thing it's like single pages mm. it's the same guy that wrote the alchemist but it's pretty cool um but the one thing is dope man you I, the reason i suggested that one is like i think the war of arts perfect for you too but the one thing in my mind was like whatever your one thing is we all know what it is like we all know what our like main one thing is Do from we? like a skill or a career or mm. everything and if you don't this book's fucking perfect for you yeah but i think for somebody like you, like if I asked you what your one thing is, what would you say? Uh, I don't know. I mean, media, but so that that's the and that's what I thought you would say. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. very broad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that's where like when I when somebody would first ask me that, and it's like, oh, fitness and nutrition. Yeah, 
And then I guess if I can go further, it's a coach. Yeah. But even that is broad, you know? What kind of coach? And how are you coaching? And what are you coaching? Which and, realm of media do you want to master? Yeah. And even if it applies to photo, video, audio, different things, like what is your one thing within that? What is your style or whatever? And then you learn delegation and all kinds of stuff. Because, mm. um, I mean, shit, like even we think about like if your one thing was just one avenue or platform, are we wasting time doing all these other things when we could just do fucking insane stuff with this one? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but it's it, that's a really, really good book. So I would check that one out. But I'm excited for you to jump into it, man. Yep. I thought you were ignoring me when I was texting you, and I was like... Oh, I was. I know. Absolutely. with me. Just kept asking other questions. It's <laughs> like, this motherfucker. Kept hitting the question mark. All right, cool. Um, well, back at the Q&As, man, it's been a little while. Yeah. Um, I had some complications. Cody had some life things going on. And we are back on the train after three weeks or so. That's crazy. Feels like it might have been two weeks. Well, I think no. we, I think it's been three. Yeah, I it's we, been three. We caught up. Yeah. Like, so far ahead, and then we haven't recorded in a while. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's uh, get the first one. The first one is from May C. My resting rate is usually around 60. I have noticed that when I start to reduce my calories for a cut, it drops to the low 40s. My training stays the same. Is it, is this something to be concerned about? Possible explanations. Um, If you don't have any symptoms... You have nothing to worry about. So there's 40 is one of those ranges where um, some people can have – and heart rate in general is kind of like that, right? Like there's certain people can get – and I'm not – I'm excluding people who have like uh, heart arrhythmia and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you've ever known anybody with heart arrhythmia, but I've had a couple clients. So uh, like an irregular heartbeat? Yeah, exactly. I, b- I believe Theo was actually born with it too. And and so like when, you you're, told tra- me that. when you're training, you have to pay attention to that. Yeah. So Theo was always easier because he's, he's such a freakish athlete that it like it takes a lot to get his heart rate up. Mm-hmm. But I would work with clients like that that, I mean, you do some battle ropes and their heart rate gets too high mm-hmm. and like you got to like bring them down, which usually people who have that, they know how to do it themselves. So like I would see one of my clients just walked to the corner and she would just lay down and just breathe because she knows what to do. And at first I was kind of like, are you good? Like, what the fuck's going on? And she would tell me like, oh, I forgot to mention I have this condition. Like, yeah. But I know how to handle it. So uh, assuming we're just talking about normal people, heart rates are different. You know, there's some people who, depending on their uh, uh, nutrient partitioning, their body fat levels, insulin sensitivity, physical, just their physical fitness, cardiovascular fitness, stuff like that, they can or cannot bring their heart rate up too high. If their heart rate gets past a certain point, they will have some issues. For some people, they can crank it up really high and they don't really have any issues. It's uncomfortable because you're tired as fuck, but it's not going to be dangerous. Yeah. Same thing in the reverse, getting low, right? There's people who um, can get their heart rate pretty low and there's no issues. Some people get to 40 and, and it is an issue and you'll have symptoms and you will need to go to the doctor. Like if you get extreme fatigue and if you have issues going on, go to the doctor because that's not okay. Um, and the, the thing that usually causes people to do that though, is the symptom, not the heart rate. Cause not that many people actually track their heart rate. Usually people will start experiencing symptoms because of an issue, go to the doctor. The doctor might not tell them, but would read it that their heart rate was really low or mm. expect that when they're at home at rest, their heart rate gets too low. But you know, unless you're wearing, which I actually just got one or a ring, like you won't know what your heart rate is at night. You know what I mean? Um, which I can even, I'll show you mine, shit. And I, I don't sleep enough. 
which is what I'm finding out with this aura ring. Um, my resting heart rate last night was 48 beats per minute. So not far off of 40. Yeah. So that could be an issue for some, not too bad for others. If you're awake, active, and walk around and you're at 40, that's pretty trippy. That's pretty low. But the thing we got to remember is um, when you lose weight and you get healthier, your resting heart rate and your, your active heart rate does lower unless you're going to intense levels because you're more fit. When you're more physically fit, your heart rate will lower to a certain extent. It's a part of being more healthy and cardiovascularly fit. Uh, when you're resting, same thing. When you eat less calories and when you're losing weight, metabolic adaptation occurs. When your metabolism slows down due to eating lower calories, your heart rate follows suit and yep. slows down too. So she asked, is it normal to have lower heart rate with lower calories? Yes, because as you lower your calories and your metabolism starts to slow down after a period of dieting, your heart rate will follow that because your heart rate is tied to the metabolism. Totally. So that's like the cliff notes, easy way to answer that. Yeah. Cool. All right. It's actually dope. I didn't, I haven't read my heart rate since I got this thing. How long have you had it? A few days. Oh, I only worn it yet for days. a few days, but I'm just, interesting. So like, I was wearing my watch, you know, but like I've tried two different, I had an Apple watch and I got the G-Shock tracker. I got the eczema and the watch band was just like causing eczema to break out on my wrist and Damn. it was just driving me crazy. So I was like, fuck. Does the Apple watch do that too? Yeah. So I was like, fuck it. I guess I'm going to go with the ring. <laughs> the Apple ri- ring. <laughs> well, this is the aura ring. Yeah. So, Uh-oh. but it's, Honestly, it's dope. Like, it's actually, like, there's, like, little sensors in there and shit. Mm. Is that just on your wedding finger? Yeah, because I was, like, Shannon said that, too. She's, like, really? You're going to re- replace your ring? I was, like, I mean, I could wear two rings. And yeah. She, I was, like, I'm just really not into rings. Yeah. And she was, like, yeah, yeah, I don't want you wearing two rings. You're fine. I was like, right, cool. <laughs> but I thought it was black, and it came gray. So I actually did an exchange. I'm going to get the black one. So it actually looks like my wedding ring, like yeah. a black, shiny ring. But, yeah. Cool. All right. So uh, we got Melissa Duncan. I am 52 in perimenopause. I have gained 25 pounds over the last two years and unable to budge more than five pounds or so. I stopped running and doing a lot of cardio and have only been walking flat and inclined for about two years. My question, I guess, is how much protein, carbs, and fat should I be eating in this stage of my life? I weigh 175 and 5'5". I would like to get down to 150, 155. I've been working out weights and cardio since in my 20s. I just need some serious help. I'm pretty sure I actually, to be completely honest, I don't think I meant to put this in the, because I I emailed her and I said, like, you got to coach with us. (laughs) And I think I emailed her, but like, Quick tips on this, like, I mean, number one, we have some content out on uh, menopause, so you can, you know, search to life podcast slash menopause or whatever on Google, and it'll probably pop up, so we've done a whole episode on it, but what I find, like, a lot of people, whether it's, you know, PCOS is kind of similar, you can do some tweaks for PCOS, thyroid dysfunction is very similar, you can make some tweaks for thyroid, but menopause is one of those things where you are going to have symptoms, you are going to have... uh, struggles like your body's going to be more stubborn partially because as you go through menopause there are hormonal down regulations that cause metabolic slowdown so it's it's more so like menopause indirectly directly causes like this chain reaction that causes you to your metabolism slow down a little bit what can you do about that you can weight train you're doing that you can get better sleep i think you might be doing that you know you can eat well like you can walk you're doing those things there's not a whole lot you can do, which is hard because the answer is eat less. So mm-hmm. for somebody your with your 
body fat levels, uh, age, weight, or not age, height, weight, uh, muscularity, all those kind of things, activity, maybe they could lose weight on 1,800 calories because of the menopause, you might have to go down to 1,500, right? There is a down regulation. For the most part, that's it. Like there's a lot of pseudoscience out there about eat more of this or eat less of this or try this fasting protocol and so on and so forth. There's just not really any data to support that any one little tactic is going to help people lose more weight during menopause. Most research just shows it's a period of time where things slow down, you know, for men, they hit a certain age, testosterone drops, you know, like I think after age 30, the decline of testosterone is, I can't remember, but it's a good enough percent to like, kind of like turn your head and be like, damn, that's kind of crazy. 40 doubles, 50, it like triples, like it just goes up. And why is that? What can you do about it? Well, testosterone replacement therapy, or you just deal with the fact that you're going to have lower testosterone. It's part of aging. Yeah. Um, and some would argue it's part of like, uh, like evolution too. Like at a certain point, you're not, you're less likely to have kids, you know, you're not, not supposed to produce that much. Yeah. You, maybe you're, you, you should already be with a partner by then, which is a completely different <laughs> topic or opinion. But the point being is like their thought is as you age, the reasons for having higher testosterone just tend to go down. Right. Yeah. You, maybe you're not in as much manual labor, so on and so forth. Um, but what can you do about it? You know, you either diet with it or you supplement with it. So I think for menopause, it's kind of the same thing, except they don't have like a, menopause supplement you could take unfortunately um it's just a period of time it's, it's going to be hard your body's gonna be stubborn uh, we've worked with a ton of people that have gone through uh menopause and it's it's really just one of those things where having honestly even just having the support of a coach is going to be helpful because they're keeping you accountable of doing all the little simple things that you need to do consistently to get through that period of time and they're an ear to bend while you're going through it because you are going to struggle. You are going to want to pick somebody's brain. You are going to want to talk through it. You are going to want accountability because there's going to be days where you don't see progress and you want to give up. Yeah. So having a coach to help you not give up is a better solution than trying some weird protocol you see on Instagram from an influencer or a guru, right? Because it's pseudoscience mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, and the last thing I'll say is if you're going through menopause and there's, you get blood work done and there's directly things that you see are being influenced by this period of time, Maybe you have an estrogen imbalance. Well, yeah, you can do certain things with your diet or with supplementation, like taking DIM, for example, that can help balance that estrogen production. And maybe that will help you get through it because, again, the chain reaction of things that happen during that period of time, maybe one of them happens to be this estrogen issue. Yeah. Uh, but it's different for everybody. So I would, I would just say, like, you know, you're going to have to go into a deficit, periodize your, your nutrition, your training, so that you're not going all in all the time. It sounds like you're doing a lot, too cardio almost every day training and you've been training for a long time it sounds like you're trying to diet obviously sometimes giving your body some recovery for a while is a smarter decision than trying to plow through it because menopause is a stress on the body right yeah. the things that are happening are, are similar to a stress so if you add more training more cardio more walking more dieting you're not sleeping well because you get hot flashes at night just stress 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 that's not going to help you totally you know what i mean it's just going to make it worse so um yeah, balancing that stress and recovery thing is going to be key too. Yeah, I but, agree. Yep. Cool. All right, we'll go to the third question here from Lynn Fleshman. It says, which is more important for achieving health, body composition, or weight goals? 
My weight is barely in the healthy range according to BMI and other weight charts, but according to body composition, I'm in the ideal or sometimes even the lean zone for women my age. So which is it? It seems like maybe I should try to lose a few pounds to get in a healthier weight range, but I don't want my body fat percentage to drop too low, especially as I get older. Yeah. Do you recommend clients pay more attention to weight or to body composition, and why is it so hard to figure out what's actually healthy if you're obese pay attention to weight if you're not obese pay attention to body composition bmi is bss yeah it's pretty much bullshit now there is some value in it again if somebody's obese and they use bmi to be an indicator to show somebody that they're in an unhealthy range great it's going to work because their bmi is going to be bad but you can also take muscular individuals and their BMI would be poor. I would even probably say my BMI is probably not the healthiest because for somebody... According to what? The average standard, right? Mm. For somebody who's 5'9", I think I'm 5'10", but <laughs> ask Shannon. 5'9", 5'10", at my weight, I'm probably heavier than I should be on average mm. because I have muscle and I've been building muscle for over a decade. But somebody who doesn't have as much muscle as me and is my height and is 20 pounds lighter than me, which is accurate. I know people who are about my height, 5'9", 5'10", that weigh about 150 pounds and they're normal. They're not overweight and everything. They, they have a healthier BMI, but I'm 25 pounds heavier and I'm going to have a worse BMI. That doesn't make sense. I'm healthier because I'm, I actually have less body fat and more muscle than them. I'm just heavier. But BMI is primarily regulated by a number on the scale. Um, so because of that, it's just not accurate, right? So in her situation, she's at not a healthy BMI and they say you should lose weight, but she's already really lean. So if she gets leaner, she's actually going to have more hormonal issues mm-hmm. and that's not going to be healthy, yeah. right? So in your situation, I would say fuck the BMI and don't do anything. <laughs> like don't try to lose weight. If you want to get leaner just for the sake of getting leaner, you can, but at the same time, like if you lost weight and got even leaner, your BMI might improve, but your health might decrease mm-hmm. because now you're too lean for a female at your age, right? And most females do need some more body fat than men do. Um, but even men, like if you get shredded and it, it improves your BMI, so you have a lot of muscle, now your testosterone's through the floor, your thyroid slows down. Like that's not healthy. Yeah. But your BMI says it's good. You <laughs> know what I mean? Um, so it's, I think it's just a flawed metric to use to gauge health. Haven't you said in the past that there is actually a, I know BMI, correct me if I'm wrong, it's like the thing you grip with your hand and all no, that good stuff. Um, uh, I know what you're talking about. Body index or something? No. BMI is body mass index. Oh, yeah. But, but you're thinking of, it's a, uh, fuck, what is it? Um, it's a it's a way to test your body fat levels. And it's a... Uh, it's I thought a, that's it's, what BMI was. No, BMI is like a calculation. So they're going to base it on your weight, on your age, oh. like things like that. Okay, you're, you're five... Body fat percentage? Body fat percentage is what you get from those scanners, but I can't remember what the scanner is off the top of my head. Oh, fuck. I don't know. But it's somewhere, some, it's abbreviation, something okay. similar to that. That's okay. what you're thinking of. Yeah. BMI is more like, okay, you're five, seven, 150 pounds and 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Here's your BMI. You know what I mean? And is it in the healthy range? Um, bioelectrical impedance is uh, the other thing that you're thinking of. That's like the process of, of testing your body fat. Um, and... BIA? Is that what it is? No. It's bioelectrical impedance. But um, anyway. Doesn't matter. You hold that and it tests your body fat. And those are just really inaccurate. They're just horribly inaccurate. Um, But 
the but the BMI is just one of those things where like and, and granted here's the thing too is like you you say should I focus on losing weight or improving my body composition for health? Well, I would say that if you were obese or you have 30, 40, 50 pounds to lose and we don't need a BMI calculator or anything to tell us you have too much body fat. We all know, you know that that's going to improve your health. I want to focus on weight because it's the absolute easiest metric to track to ensure that we are improving our body composition. Totally. When I have somebody who is really lean, I will use weight as an indicator if they want to improve, uh, their, if they want to get leaner, if they want to improve their health too. But it's usually in conjunction with pictures, measurements, training, data. stress, biofeedback in general, all that data, right? Um, so weight's just one of those things, but for somebody who's larger and has more weight to lose, I'll usually take away most of those other metrics. I don't need you measuring yourself. I don't need you taking pictures of yourself because I know you don't feel comfortable doing it anyway. So you have weight to lose. I'm here to help you. Let's just weigh in and I want you to track sleep, stress, diet. Then I just know, are you recovering? Are you, are you managing stress and are you losing weight? That's all that matters. And then when you get to a leaner level, we start adding these biofeedback points. Um, and if I have somebody like her who is really lean, maybe doesn't want to lose any weight, but wants to improve health, then I'm not even worried about weight at all. Like, I'm just like, okay, let's tweak things to try to recomp. If you're looking better, feeling better, we're winning. I don't need a scale to tell me that. Cause if you're two pounds heavier or two pounds lighter and the result are those things, regardless, who cares what the scale says? Um, and then the last part of that too is body fat percentage is, is very, very, very closely linked with uh, all-cause mortality, disease prevention, all those things. So if we look at the – there was a study where they did the McDonald's diet, they did the rice diet, they did the Twinkie diet, all these things where they're not eating healthy foods yeah. whatsoever, but their calories were controlled and they lost weight, primarily body fat. When their body fat decreased, their health markers increased cholesterol, blood pressure, cardiovascular, hormones like thyroid, metabolism, things like that. We get healthier on paper through blood work if our body fat decreases to a certain point, right? Like if we have uh, an off-season bodybuilder who has put on fat in an attempt to build muscle, when he's halfway through his prep, he's probably at his healthiest. He's getting leaner, his blood markers are improving, and then he goes into the final tail of prep and he gets absolutely shredded and then some of those markers tank because our body fat is going to help us produce hormones it's going to help us produce vitamin or hold on to fat soluble vitamins things like that so um and obviously the leaner and leaner and leaner you get the more stress you're going to have um so that's kind of where there's like this this bell curve right like to to for the most most people listening they don't have to worry about getting so shredded they get unhealthy so for most people you should focus on body composition because the more muscle you have and less body fat you have the more all of your health markers are going to improve across the board. Um, and that goes for the hormones that we were talking about er earlier with menopause or testosterone, thyroid, things like that. Um, thyroid can slow down if you diet too long, but to, and so can testosterone. But, you know, and this is where it's crazy because somebody who's super lean has really low testosterone. Somebody who has a lot of body fat on them has super low testosterone. So there's like this middle ground of like, I call it lifestyle lean, mm -hmm. right? You get leaner and you're clearly lean, but you're healthy. And then you get too lean, that's an issue. And I'm like, like for me personally right now in the middle of this cut, I'm like borderline on that range. I could probably get a little bit leaner and still be really healthy, but I'm going to get to a point, hopefully, because I want to push this to where it's like, okay, I could be healthier if I had some fat on me. For sure. But that's the whole point. That's the name of the game. Yeah. Right. Get shredded. But. Yeah. Touche. That's a cool. good question. I like that one. Cool. The next one comes from Tristan Casson. Kason. Kason, is that actually? I don't know. I just always say Kason. Yeah, 
Casein. I guess I say that because I think of casein protein. Mm. But is that how you spell it? No. no. I don't think it's casson either, but... Casson would probably make more sense. Maybe it is. Casson. Or caisson. Caisson. Caisson, casson. This one comes from Tristan. You might be next door right now. He works at Giant. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. He, uh, I thought you were joking. <laughs> no, he used me as a recommendation, and they hit me up. Yep. I was like, fuck yeah, he's, de- he's a good dude. Could you break down what you would do for programming with, with in-person 50-minute sessions versus what you might do for someone in a remote coaching? Do you have a specific system when you were coaching in person? My system for online is built from what I did in person. So, yes and no. Do I have a different system? Not really because it's, it's the same system, but it's adapted from that. So the, the main difference here is that when I was in person with somebody, um, multiple things changed. The type of client was one. Most of the time, the type of client I would get when I was in person is somebody who is, is closer to the gen pop category, right? They're working a desk job. They've been there all day. They got some weight to lose. They have fun training. But they don't like they're not obsessed with the gym. They're not like really into program design and periodization and all that kind of stuff. Most of the people I do like true programming with now, they are like really into training. They love training. They're training four or five, six times a week. They want to know the details. They like an advanced program. Um, We still work with a ton of people who aren't in that more advanced category, but most of them either do the app or they just do nutrition coaching with us because they're working with an in-person trainer going to a group class or CrossFit or something like that. So I think the biggest thing that changed for me was when I went to the online space, it got more specific. And it got more specific for two reasons. One, because the person that was hiring me is likely a little bit more advanced. But two, if you don't have things properly periodized and planned out in the online setting, It just doesn't work, right? You come in to train with me, and if I forgot to write your program, it's all good because I know you, I know your movement patterns, I know what your goal is. I can just come up with a program right now because I know in my head what to do. For a client online, I have to send you a program that is completely mapped out, progression's already built, adjustments already there, periodization is already inside of it that's going to last at least four weeks. You know what I mean? Because I have to prepare you ahead of time. And if I'm doing it every week, I'm... I'm going to be so busy writing program after program after program. Um, that was the biggest thing. But if, if I look back at like, okay, what was I doing? I was doing the same stuff. Like I was taking people through an activation phase, right? They're, usually the way I had it when I was in person with people is you come into the gym, you get there five to 10 minutes early and you do your warm up by yourself. Go in the warm up zone. There's already people in there. You foam roll, you stretch, you do your dynamic warm up, which I teach you ahead of time. And you remember that people yeah. would go over there and do that. And then you come over to me, we go through an activation. And if it's a squat day, that's where we're doing some leg curls, some side planks, and some like face pulls or anti-rotation stuff. Then we do our strength movement or a power movement before that, depending on the person. Then we go into accessory work, and then we go and do some kind of finisher, which is either going to be isolation hypertrophy or it's going to be metabolic training, something at the end. Um, that takes less skill and less brain capacity, mental clarity, and just it's just grinding through it, right? Assault bike. You don't got it. You know, you don't really need any skill there, and you don't really need to think too hard. You just need to grit, right? You just need to get through it. And sometimes I got to yell at you because you got to grind through, it, and that is what it is. Yeah. A back squat, you need some skill. You got to be prepared mentally. You're going to get hurt. Um. So I sequence things the same there. I did a lot more full body training when I was in person because I would usually see people once or twice a week. And because of that, even if they were doing upper lower or other things outside of the gym with me, which I usually program for them, I usually wanted to pair like their most complex movements with me. 
So if they came in, it's like, all right, we're doing your squat and bench today, and then your more complex accessory work with me so I can make sure you're doing it properly. And then the programs I'm writing for you outside of your session with me are going to be more simple stuff. So maybe you're doing like upper, lower, and then a full body with me in a couple conditioning days, right? And the full body is where we go heavy. We're doing more technical work, so on and so forth. Um, But like... That's, the, I mean, that's really it. It's, it's all the same methods and philosophies. It's just like slight adjustments for the people coming in. And I would say there was a handful of people that I never actually wrote programs for. Like I would have templates mapped out for them, but it was daily undulated periodization. So we, we didn't periodize over time. We periodized every single session. So it was like, we're doing some low reps and high reps in every session versus having like a block of strength and a block of hypertrophy because they like lifting heavy, but they like doing endurance or metabolic work or, or hypertrophy work. And they just wanted to have fun. So yeah. if I had somebody who's coming to the gym and they're healthy and lean and fit and they want to like blow off some steam and have a good time, I'm like reading as they come in the door. How stressed are you? How long was your day at work? Did you get any sleep? If they, back then we would use like BioForce. If they're tracking HRV, how's your HRV score? If it's not 80 or above, we're not going super heavy. Then I can go, all right, this is what we're doing today. And I have an idea, but when they come in, I can change that. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and that is kind of, individualized to that day yeah. right versus online you can't do that because totally. i'm not waiting for you at the gym to see how you're doing <laughs> like it's i'm just assuming and i have to pre-program rpe percentages stuff like that for you to gauge your intensity while you're there um and this is why i think like honestly i think most in- online coaches should have been in person and need to be yeah, yeah. before yeah because it teaches you so much of these things to look out for and how to read people and even cues like I'm going to have more knowledge about what exercises people have a hard time uh, doing properly, activating the right muscles for, so on and so forth, than somebody who's never been an in-person trainer because I've watched so many people do exercises poorly in person and had to correct them in person, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah. Did, did, did you mention what HRV meant? Uh, heart rate variability. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so um, that's – and, like, this reads it too, mm-hmm. right? So, like – Would you yeah. lift – you would work out with that on? I take it off, but heart rate variability is basically it's, it's tracking my steps, it's tracking my sleep and it's tracking my heart rate. And based on those things, it gives you a heart rate variability. And that's basically like an indicator of stress. Gotcha. So if you have a really high score, you're in the green light, you can train hard because you recovered well, your heart rate. So your, your stress levels dictate your heart rate variability. So it can read that variability throughout the day and then tell you your stress is too high. You need to do a lower impact training. So like, for example, um, let's see what mine is. I don't think it's the best. This thing is, this is why I didn't want it. <laughs> um, okay, how do I, okay, readiness. Oh, actually not bad. I got a readiness of 86. Hmm. What was yesterday? Is that in the green? Uh, 72 yesterday was good. Today is uh, optimal. So I don't know what's above that, which is ironic because... Uh, like, but here's the, here's the thing is, so my heart rate is, is very healthy. Uh, my body temperature is great. My recovery index is good. Uh, my activity was in a good place. My sleep just sucks. My total sleep hours last night were five hours and 30 minutes. Not that, not that great. Restfulness was even less. <laughs> um, sleep efficiency was 87. Oh no, I, my total sleep was five and a half hours, but I was in bed for six hours and 24 minutes, which already is really bad. How do they, how do they know how long you're in bed? I don't know. It's fucking <laughs> smart. <laughs> no, it's you have a Facebook. <laughs> it's uh so like I mean it depends. So you can even get an app on your phone and you can like basically 
like set it down and once it sees your body go below it because it's on your nightstand it knows that you're going to bed or whatever but your heart rate changes when you lay down and calm down totally so i think it just senses that assumption yeah Yeah. and you can also set timers too so if you want to be like super accurate i can say getting ready for bed and click it (laughs) and then it knows like within the next 30 minutes i'm gonna fall asleep kind of thing i don't do that um but but the the thing about my sleep is i don't get many hours but like the amount of time it took me to fall asleep is like nothing. Like I just knock out and yeah. I get deep sleep. I just don't sleep enough. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes you can't do anything about it, man. It's like fucking get home, eat. I want to hang out with my daughter for a little bit. And then she finally goes down and yeah. she puts up a fight to go down. And it's like, I got like an hour, maybe probably like 45 minutes to watch Netflix with Shannon. And if I'm not asleep in 45 minutes, then I don't get seven hours of sleep. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just not going to get seven hours of sleep because I want more than 45 minutes of Vikings. Like, <laughs> keep watching. Totally. <laughs> hey, do you want quick, easy, and fast fat loss? So fast that it'll happen in 30 days and maybe all you have to do is take a pill? Well, you're shit out of luck because it's not going to happen. It takes hard work and patience which is one of the reasons why I love Legion supplements. They are open and honest about their marketing. And on the front page, they tell you that supplements don't overrule training and nutrition, but they do supplement a good diet and a good training program. So if your training's dialed in, your nutrition is on point, and you wanna get that upper edge and take things to the next level to get the best results possible for your body and performance, check out Legion and save 20% today by heading to buylegion.com slash boom boom. Now let's get back to the episode. Cool. Which is bad advice for my clients listening. Don't listen to that. Like, <laughs> get seven hours. Um, and there's times where I do too. I will say, like, if I if I'm in a bad, stressed, overtrained place and I know it, I will purposely sleep. Yeah, more. sleep more. Or I set my alarm later and just sleep in instead of waking up so early. But yeah, cool. All right. So next one uh, goes from Ashley Loden. I am wanting to eventually become a nutrition coach myself. I am starting to update my Instagram. I, it has been my personal account for eight years or so. Should I delete some of the pictures or do you have any suggestions? I don't want to create a new account because I feel like it would be even harder to get a following. The Can I keep going? Yeah. Oh, that you're antsy to answer it. <laughs> the back of my creatine says to drink a gallon. Oh, that's a separate question. <laughs> who's, who's this one from? You didn't. All right. Uh, you deleted the name. Oh. It's <laughs> from. Keep might, going. Might be from the same person. Maybe. We'll, we'll say it is. Um. As long as you don't got any <laughs> any like questionable pictures on your Instagram, yeah, run with it. But what's questionable nowadays? I know. Good lord, <laughs> everything. Um, <laughs> I would say like I didn't. I didn't create a new one. Um, but I will say I I went back and deleted photos. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't. I didn't have anything terrible. Yeah. But I mean, like there was pictures of me like with a bottle in my hand partying with people. Yeah. I'm just gonna. I'll oh, delete that. Yeah. You know, it's 20, 21. Let's yep. just get rid of that. Starting a business you here. Make the judgment. Yeah. Um, but I think like, I don't know. I think it's, 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 it's more of a problem if you're going to work for somebody because uh, an employer or somebody is going to look at those and then they're, they're wondering, yeah. you know, are you still a party animal? Yeah. Do you still like, what kind of person are you? Whereas, like, somebody hiring you might actually just go, like, oh, they're just real as fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just, yeah. tra- like, they're authentic. Who cares? Um, so, I think it depends. I, I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't get a new Instagram because, to me, it's, like, if you already have anybody following you, if you have 100 people following you, 
that's hundred people that could see what you're doing now and could potentially hire you. Yep. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it. I would just delete anything that's questionable. Yeah. And you know, it's questionable. All right. Do you want me to answer this? Ask this question? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's from anonymous. All right. Um, uh, the back of my creatine says to drink a gallon of water a day. I usually do drink a, a gallon of water a day. That's a habit I started over a year ago. However, life happens and sometimes I don't drink that much. Is that okay? Can creatine have increased amounts amounts in the body if I don't drink enough water? I I mean, my first suggestion is stop drinking whatever creatine you're drinking because any supplement bottle that universally tells everybody who takes it to drink a gallon of water a day is completely unevidence based like a gallon a gallon <laughs> because if you're a 100 pound female that is 3 times more than you technically need yeah are you going to get hurt by drinking a gallon no but you might actually get deficient in water soluble vitamins yeah. cuz you'll flush you might not get out as much work done during the day yeah, you'll be pissing constantly <laughs> but, but you also flush out micronutrients that yeah. are water soluble you know what i mean that's why you can't get too lean you'll get rid of fat soluble vitamins um and that's why when you're getting really lean, it's important to take extra fish oil or extra vitamin D and stuff like that. But yeah, that's, I mean, you should drink more water when you're taking in creatine because creatine is going to be more productive with water. Um, and your muscles are like 60% water and creatine is being stored in the muscle to help hydration of the muscle and recovery. So it's probably a good idea to stay hydrated. Um, but I think a smarter recommendation from a supplement company is to stay hydrated when consuming creatine monohydrate. Yeah, not specifics. Yeah, not drink a gallon of water a day. I don't even drink a gallon of water a day. Yeah. Actually, I do. I do drink a gallon of water a day. You do? Yeah, probably. I drink two to three liters a day, which... Actually, I don't know. I, don't, I can't even think of what a gallon is off the top of my head. I think a gallon's two point something liters. I think you're right. I think it is. But I drink... I have that huge one liter thing, and I drink two to three of them a day many liters in a gallon people are like you're an idiot dude 3.7 wow. liters are in a gallon so i don't drink a gallon yeah it's unnecessary that's crazy yeah that's a lot yeah and i think it stems from like technically water can't speed up your metabolism but this is where like people hear that nitpick. and they start drinking a bunch of, yeah one it's a very small amount but two we got to think about it too is like and i don't know this for sure but Based on everything I know about this stuff, which I feel like is a good amount, um, I would like, I would look at that similarly to I look at a high fat diet. You burn more fat on a high fat diet because you're consuming more fat. Yeah. So you have more fat to burn, right? Even if some of it's just taking in, it doesn't make you like lose more stored body fat or have better fat loss off your body. It just means that if you're literally reading what you're burning more of, you're going to be burning more fat. So that's why they say, oh, you'll have a fat-burning metabolism if you eat a lot of fat. Well, of course you will. Mm -hmm. You'll have a carb-burning metabolism if you eat a bunch of carbs. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're going to get leaner. I mean, it might because <laughs> studies show higher-carb diets outperform. But st the point is, is okay, your, your metabolism, metabolism has like a little kick up when you drink more water. Is that because it's actually speeding up in general? Maybe a little bit. But is it also because you have more water going through you? Maybe. Who knows? You know what I mean? But um, – it's very minor and hard to tell. Yeah, and water intake's individual, just like anything else. A gallon for everybody. Yeah. All right, next question comes from, wait, what happened? Gallon a day keeps a doctor away. Yeah. Where did that saying come from? An apple a, a day. Apple a day. Yeah, where did that, I mean, you ever think, like, I don't know, like, 
they would they're probably dead by now yeah. but they just they, like oh my around. oh my great great grandma actually created that was <laughs> the first person to say that there's got to be a meaning behind it stay healthy yeah <laughs> he's not very hidden well i know yeah oh. yeah i know that but there's uh, there was another one i was trying to think of too it's like about honey i think i don't know or a sore throat eating honey and stuff like that I mean, I think that's a scientific fact. I don't think I don't think so. I think it. I, I'm pretty sure it's old, just old wives' tale. Like I don't think it actually. You don't think honey helps a sore throat? I think it just feels good on your throat. There's nothing, like. I mean, but isn't that mean it makes it better? Not really. It's just smooth. <laughs> it's like it's the same thing as using you know a massage soup, gun on your hip. Soup feels good on your throat. Does it heal your throat? I don't know if soup feels good on your throat, but hot chicken chicken noodle soup when you're sick. I guess that's a. I think opinion. it just feels good. It does feel yeah. good. I know that. Yeah. yeah. Or it's like you ever have like a like a like a a cut or anything. I think this is and just you want to hold apples it. Apples and oranges, dude. Like you want to hold it. You ever done that? What? You get a cut or something. You just want to hold it. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't <laughs> heal it. It's a bad example. It's not a bad example. That makes it feel better. Does it not? I don't think I don't know. I can't remember the last time you I skin cut. your knee and, or like Family Guy, <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> and he holds his knee. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. I get the concept. The only, the only reason I think about it is because Blakely has been doing that lately. Like the any, knee thing or honey? No, like any time she gets like a little nick, oh. she's like, "Hold it, hold it," oh. and you're like holding her foot for oh. like thirty minutes trying to get her to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing there, oh. <laughs> but yeah, we'll look up the honey thing later. All think, right, I don't think it does anything. All right. I'm a, uh, I'm a big Googler. Next time, or next time, next question. Uh, Candace Flaherty. Does it matter if diet breaks and deloads happen on the same week? Um, no. Man, this, <laughs> it doesn't even pop up when I start writing does honey, actually. But does it actually cure acne? I didn't know honey cured acne. What do you do, rub it all over it? Um, okay, so... Uh, D-load. Somebody's gonna like send me a study of like honey for sore throats. Good. And, like, be like you're an idiot, um, and I'll be like touche. You're gonna tell them they're an idiot. No, they're gonna tell me I'm an idiot. Oh, <laughs> oh <my laughs> I'm gonna say touche. Um, all right. So, do deloads and diet breaks need to be on the same week? No, not at all. In fact, I would based on like the recent research, I would say they shouldn't be. So previously, it was in is very like indifferent, right? I would never purposely plan them that way, but if they fell on the same week, and I would still say this, like if they fall on the same week, it's not a big deal. If they fall on the same week and I think the person could wait one extra week before their diet break, I probably would push them an extra week because the week after a deload, you feel really fresh in the gym and you're probably going to lift heavier and I want to supply more nutrition on that week, right? But um, classically, there was no reason that I would say say anything against it. I would either say, you know what, if... If it falls on the same week, do it. If not, um, it's just not the end of the world. Like at the end of the day, you're trying to promote better recovery. So if we have a week where we're taking a diet break to improve recovery and we need to take a deload, which would also improve recovery, why not double down on that recovery? But at the same time, if we're already going to get enough recovery from one of them, why do both of them kind of thing, you know? And I think that, uh, Based on what I've seen lately in, in the, the recent uh, ice cap trial that Jackson Piaz did, I probably I, – I separate them every time now because what they saw was that muscular endurance increased, performance increased with the diet break because, you know, an increase in carbs, it makes sense. Totally. Strength didn't increase, which doesn't surprise me because it's more neurological and you're still in a deficit at that point. But 
if we know that a diet break with a, a sufficient amount or more carbs is going to increase muscular endurance, potentially allow you to get more volume in, utilize that. Because when you're going through a diet, your training volume is one of the best ways to maintain muscle throughout the cut and keep you keeping muscle while you're losing body fat in a deficit and keeping strength and so on and so forth. So I would almost rather give them the deload, keep them on the diet because, you know, yes, you're still on diet, but you're dropping volume. You're going to recover. Things are going to be better. And then the next week, I'm going to add more volume to that first week when they're back at it. You're feeling fresh from the deload and I'm going to give you more carbs all week for your diet break. Now you're going to have better recovery, more muscle glycogen constantly, and you're going to have a higher output for, for muscular endurance, which muscular endurance is how long you can continuously do an exercise. So if we look at that in the case of bodybuilding, we might be able to take something from eight to 12 or 12 to 15 reps, right? So now we're going, okay, we'll do an extra few reps on everything you do because you have more fuel and we're taking a diet break, which is going to increase endurance. You have more carbs to help recovery. We just had a full week of doing extra volume which is at the bare minimum going to help maintain muscle better. If not, show a little bit of recomp. There's no reason why you couldn't build muscle in that week because you're not in a, a diet anymore. And if you're doing this every four weeks, it would actually be perfect, right? So a perfect setup would be week one. Let's say like week one, your uh, regular diet, regular training. Week two, regular diet, regular training. Week three, you do a deload. Week four, you do a diet break, start a new block and increase volume. Or you do the last week of that block, increase volume. Week five, you're back to your deficit and you start a new program. Week two, deficit, same program. Week three, deficit, uh, deload. Week four, the last week of that program, you add volume, you add intensity, whatever, but you're also diet breaking, right? Mm -hmm. So every fourth week, you increase intensity in the gym and you give yourself a diet break and then you just repeat the cycle. Or you can even do the third week is the peaking week with the diet break and the fourth week is a deload. Either way. Either way. Yeah. But I would probably separate them. They don't need to be on the same. I used to do it more so because I was assuming we were doubling down on recovery. And there's, there's times where if somebody's fucked up or like has adrenal issues or anything like that, I might do it. Um, or if it just happens to fall in the same time and I really don't want to take this person's diet break away cause they need it, then I'll probably do it. But if somebody can hold out for a week, I'm going to hold out totally. and give it to them so we can crank up volume. Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, next one comes from WWE lady ref Jess. Do meals you intake pre-workout help recovery? So do meals you intake pre-workout help recovery or strictly the post-workout meals? Good question. I, I'm actually surprised I've never been asked that. Hmm. It seems like a question that would be asked more frequently. Um, yes, they do help. I think, like, you know, a lot of people like carbs. assume, well, they assume pre-workout is for energy, mm -hmm. post-workout is for recovery, which for the most part it is. Right, in the grand scheme of things, that's like the general concept. However, we don't digest everything like that, right? It's not like I'm in taking this pre-workout meal an hour before my training, and by the end of my training, every calorie I took in is digested, absorbed, assimilated, and has been used for energy. Just not true. Um, at the bare minimum, you're still going to have some protein left over. So okay. let's say like my pre-workout meal, which you see me, it switches up almost every day. <laughs> Dude, I got a collection of cereal in my pantry now. But something like that, it's – I usually pick cereal that has like one gram of fat per serving, which is really low. 
and a lot of carbs, right? So I'm having two servings in a bowl and it's, I mean, that's a probably 80 to hundred grams of carbs, two grams of fat. That's a lot of carbs, low fat. And they're not, there's no fiber. It's like frosted flakes. It's basically mm-hmm. just pure fucking starch yeah. and uh, protein powder, whey isolate. So really low fat, low carb protein. The protein is going to probably still like those amino acids are still going to be in my blood system stream. They're still going to be uh, being used for recovery in the building blocks of protein, so on and so forth. The carbs, if I train really hard, I might burn through those carbs, but I might not. You know, if I had some like oats that had more fiber, some fat and protein in the oats, that's going to slow digestion down. Those definitely won't be burned by the end of the session. Yeah. Which is also why I have the cereal because I want it to be like fast acting carbs, get a nasty pump, better energy. It's perfect. Those might be burned out, but the protein won't. So your pre-workout is definitely going to still be supplying some nutrients for your post-workout recovery. And if you take in a good pre-workout meal, you're recovering better throughout the session, which means that you're relying less on the post-workout for recovery after the session, which is also probably why a lot of the studies show that like, oh, you don't need a meal immediately after your workout. You can wait one to three hours and you're still going to get the same benefit. Beyond three hours, we do see a slight decline in recovery or muscle growth but very, very small. So to me, like, if you can't get a meal within three hours, which is very rare, like, you should be able to get something in within three hours. Just have a protein shake after yeah. workout. But for me, even, like, it's it's like I finish working out, I drive home, I take the, the baby downstairs to play while Shannon cooks. It's You know, it's a good hour, hour and a half. That's totally fine. But um, pre-workout and post-workout both have protein carbs. You're going to have your bases covered. So. Touche. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, next one comes from MQ Fitness. How do how to get rid of stubborn belly fat but maintain weight? Ooh, fuck, that's a big old. It depends. Yeah, a um, lot of things. Yeah, how to get rid of stubborn body fat? If I could simplify this, I would say this. I would say train with sufficient amounts of volume not insane amounts of volume and extremely high effort for you. So you can't be training soft in the gym. Like you just, you got to push it. Like you got to be every, every set you do in the gym on every single session you go to the gym for, you need to be pushing yourself near failure to reach a certain amount of effort to create a certain amount of stimulus, which you can go really hard if you're not maxing out your volume. If you're doing a ton of volume, you actually have to tone that down a bit because you won't be able to recover. But I think people get better results with high, but like moderately high amounts of volume, really hard effort in the gym, a high carb, high protein, moderately low fat diet, and a very slight deficit and just be patient. So that's where the, all those depends come in. Moderate. Exactly. Yeah. And what's moderate for you? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think there are times too where if somebody comes to me and that they have the same question and they're, they are advanced, they've tried the diet, they've done all this thing, they've done what exactly what I'm telling them. In that case, I'm not going to say go in a slight deficit. I'm going to be like, we're going to put you in a fucking big deficit. I mean, we talked about this. Most research has like a 25 to 35% deficit. Yeah. Like I think the smallest or the, yeah, the smallest deficit I usually see in a study is like 15%. I'm sure there's ones out there with smaller, but for the most part, it's like 15, 20, 25%. It's a big deficit, you know? If you're eating 2,000 calories, that's 1,500 right out the gate. 500 calories gone. So for some people, it's like, hey, we're not going to baby the process. We're just going to eat extra protein to make sure we're maintaining muscle. I'm going to put you in an aggressive-ass deficit. That's the only way you're going to lose weight. But the last thing I will say on this too is, number one, 
everything I said. Number two, it's not really any different than losing non-stubborn body fat. It's just that it's the last thing to go. And by the time you're only focused on the stubborn body fat, you've been dieting for 8, 12, 16, 20 weeks. You've been at it for a while. Totally. So it feels like it's never going to go. No, it's because you never diet past that point. Because at that point, it's really fucking hard. That's the point where adherence is starting to get questioned. Your consistency is starting to get questioned. Your mental motivation is starting to dampen and, and lower. You've been at it, and I understand why. You've been at it for a long time, which is why somebody in that case where they're like, I want to get rid of the last little bit of fat, do an 8- to 12-week diet, take one to two months off, and then go after it again with another 12- to 16-week diet. And that 16, 12 to 16 weeks, that's the stubborn fat loss phase, right? You only have five pounds to lose, and it's going to come off like a snail pace, but it's, a, it's just a fucking time game. Yeah. You know, it's the, the grandfather clock shit. Just really, really slow. And you just got to wait yeah. and be patient. So, you know, the training, the high-carb, high-protein approach with a slight deficit, it does work. It's just time. Totally. It takes so long. So, um, and I remember, like, the most shred I've ever been was for my show. But even the times I've gotten my leanest for photo shoots. But most specifically the show because that's just the most unreal I've gotten, like, Probably never get there again. There's just no point. But I remember it being like my shoulders, traps, chest. I had veins in my chest. I had veins in my quads. I was like just shredded. You could see the muscles in my fucking ass. Like I was just so lean. Last little bit of body fat on my belly. (laughs) You know, just that last little bit that I could still. And I was just like, what the fuck? But I've, and I haven't since taken it there. But it's, there was the first time I ever went past that point of like, I'm tired of the diet. I'm uncomfortable. I don't feel my best. I'm still going to do it. Yeah. You know, not everybody has to do that. Some people get there without having to grind like that, but there's some people listening just like not to burst your bubble and be too real, but some, some, for some people to get that lean and get rid of that last little bit, like you got to fucking dig and it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a lot of people who want to get there and it's probably unnecessary. So I've seen plenty of people that are like, I want to get like to that last little bit leaner, leaner, leaner. And sometimes I'm like, why? You look great. Like, why do you want to get leaner? You're already lean. And if it's just because you want to see how far you can go, that's fine because I did it too. But if, if that's only what's acceptable, that's where it's an issue. You know what I mean? Because then you're not happy with what's normal. Bigger issues. Yeah. hundred percent. Totally. It's like between your ears. Um, cool. All right. We got a couple more here. Um... Next one comes from Cara Nicole. It says, minimum grams or percentage of daily protein that should come from animal sources versus trace or vegan? That's a good question. Um, so for those listening, obviously vegan is plant-based proteins. Trace proteins is going to be things like uh, if I have – I mean, trace proteins are usually vegan proteins too, but if I have like uh, peanut butter, yeah. there's protein in there, but it's not like – Protein's not a peanut butter, or I mean, sorry, peanut butter's not a protein food. Yeah. Peanut butter's a fat, right? It's peanuts, it's nuts, it's fats. But there is some protein in there, so you get trace protein. Um, but that's a really good question. I've never been asked that, and I don't think there's a good uh, recommendation or percentage. Like, I, I don't think I've ever heard of or can tell you 80% of your protein intake should come from animal sources. However... I think 80% is probably a good number. 75 to 80% is probably a good number. But again, I would have to actually like go in and calculate that because I could be way off. I think that like this is why I tend to like to strive for a little bit above 
one gram per pound for most people, unless you have a good amount of weight to lose. But for the average person who has 20 pounds or less to lose, I'm probably going to go anywhere between one to 1.2 grams per pound, because that way I can ensure the vast majority of your protein. So let's say like 0.8 grams per pound of protein is coming from animal sources, dairy, eggs, meat, fish, poultry, things like that. Um, and it's just going to be more anabolic. It's more bioavailable. It's, it's better amino acid profile. So I can't give you exact number, but I, I want to say it's, if I had to guess, probably around 75% or more. Yeah. But, but that's why I like to strive for a little bit extra protein. Totally. All right. Last one here, uh, comes from Bryce Allen, 1412, can resting too long between sets negatively impact your gains? I know too short rest, too short of rest periods can. I would say yes. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, resting too short can inhibit strength more than hypertrophy. However, if you are resting too little and that's causing you to lift less weight or be more fatigued and not being able to push as close to failure, aka your effort's not as high as it would be if you rested longer, now we have an issue with, with hypertrophy for sure. I think if you rest too long, um, you're if anything, you're more likely to get injured because if you, if you do a set and then you wait 10 minutes, you're just not like, you're kind of stiff now. You're not like, you almost got to warm up again totally. for the, for the lift and go through the movement pattern. So if you rest too long, I would say more so minutes. from like a good movement perspective. Cause even for me, like if I take longer, if I take five minutes, I'm already like, all right, I got to kind of like ease into this next set. Cause like I got to go through the motion again. Yeah. Um, so, and there's, there's some stuff that I believe, but it's much more bro science. Like I would say, keeping your rest periods under control so that blood flow is still good in the, not only the muscle, but in the joint in the area. So you still have good lubrication in the joint and you can go through the movement pattern safely. You still have a lot of muscle in, in mechanical tension and focus in that area. Um, you don't want to completely eliminate the pump before you get back to it, right? We want to keep that time under tension somewhat there. Cause that is going to contribute to mechanical tension. Um, so I would say yes. Like overall, I'd say yes. I don't think I have anything that I can give you to prove that statement. But I, but I truly believe that like for hypertrophy, I think your, your big compound heavy lift should be between two to four minutes. So your squat, bench, deadlift, stuff like that. I think all your accessory work should be anywhere between one to three. So that's going to be your dumbbell presses, your rows, your RDLs, stuff like that that are eight plus reps. And then for your isolation and met metabolic work at the end where you're doing curls and stuff for 10, 15, 20 reps, that's where I would go with uh, like one minute, two minutes max. And in between supersets or circuits, you're doing no break. And there's times to, to do burnout sets too. Like there's times where I'll do leg extension supersetted with sissy squats. And I'm purposely doing less, like no break between the two and a certain amount of break in between the sissy squat back to the leg extension because they're both quad dominant. And I'm purposely trying to just demolish my quads yeah. you know um am i getting stronger at each of those movements by doing that probably not but am i creating hypertrophy probably you know i'm, I'm pushing closer to failure um and i wouldn't do that at the beginning of my workout like like yesterday on my leg day that was the last thing i did right and i was trying to get through shit on time because i had way less time to work out yesterday but um overall i would say say yes probably yeah so. totally all right that's it um anything else in the data no, man, that's that's a wrap. Um, drop some questions, guys. We need some questions from you guys since we were out for, for three weeks. Uh, I get a ton of questions on Instagram, which is always helpful, but we love – they're just so much easier to use on the form, So, and you get more space to write in there. So uh, check out the link in the description. Click that, fill out the form, give us your question. 
for those of you guys participating in the challenge, keep crushing it. Respect the hell out of you guys. I'm excited about it. Check out for the those, Taylor Trainer. Yeah, check out the Taylor Trainer. Um, a lot of people in the group are doing that, and uh, I just uploaded a couple programs that are sick. So um, the programs are keeping coming. There's 18 fucking programs. Wow. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I was like, man, I spent a lot of time programming. And I'm yeah. like, oh, that's why. There's 18 programs, and all of them are going to be six-plus months. So check that out, guys. All the links are in the show notes. And uh, that's a wrap. Peace.